we paused it once at 30 minutes and I thought, 30 minutes? I thought five minutes went by. Yeah. Then we paused it again at an hour. Then we watched the rest of it. And I'm like, for a movie that has this many slow motion scenes, it moves really, really fast, but nothing happens. Yeah, like, no nothing happens in this movie. I don't recall any significant B-plots. There are no beats to this movie other than they're looking for Lily and the unicorn horn, which I'm still not sure what it does when it's attached to the unicorn. Recorded in our Nerdhaven studios, this is Pop Medieval, your hosts, Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina McIntyre, discussing the intersection of medieval literature and pop culture on a semi-weekly basis. And now, back to your podcast. What, Doc? What, Nina? Well, we finally did it. We are in our final November movie for 2020, and uh, we're going out on a uh, unicorn fart. <laughs> well, there's nothing quite so appetizing as a unicorn <laughs> fart to take us from Thanksgiving into the Christmas season. That's true. This time we're doing 1986's uh, Legend. 1985. 1985. Okay, I was a year right. off. This movie stars Tom Cruise, Mia Sara, and the always phenomenal in everything that he does, Tim Curry. And that's probably the only good thing I can say about it. Uh, <laughs> this it, movie did not hold up. <laughs> it looked good, but... Yes, it did look good. Yeah. Oh, and also we saw the theatrical cut. We did not see the director's cut that was released in the early 2000s uh, that Ridley Scott wanted everyone to see afterward we saw the actual cut that was released to theaters in the 80s and we really did try to find that director's we cut. did we worked really hard at it and uh it's just hard to get lay hands on so ridley scott if yeah. you really want us to watch it you need to make it available yes this was not available for streaming since i don't go to the store to buy dvds we got what was uh handed to us and that was the theatrical cut so no we were we were disappointed well, where you could have gone to see this and still maintained your COVID-19 social distancing would have been the drive-in. And in 1985, Ooh. I saw it at the drive-in. And I have to tell you, this is the second time I saw it. The first, I had, hadn't seen it since then. And I remember watching the drive-in and thinking, it started raining while I was there. And if you've mm -hmm. ever been to the drive-in, you know that that's a, a little bit of a problem. It's, it doesn't always harm a movie, but with one that's as visual as this one, it was a problem. And, and I remember thinking, I can't see these things clearly. So, for example, I remember thinking, <laughs> why is Tim Curry's father a chair? It must be something I can't see clearly. And now that I have seen it not raining in a drive-through, a drive-in rather, uh, I see that I missed nothing. It was exactly as hard to make out some of these images yeah. as it seemed to be in the rain. Yeah, this movie was very gauzy like very ethereal very dreamlike a lot of slow motion running through forests and you know gates of hell kind of you really needed a quiet house or in the, in your case a quiet car in order to hear and see what was going on it, it it's quite complicated i completely understand your confusion at the time i mean when i watched it i, I watched it as a kid and i loved it like i i thought oh my god this is great and you know tim curry he is badass i made a joke last year about him being hellboy the best hellboy he still is he that still holds up the costuming the set design the the makeup like the the amount of work that went into making tim curry the best satan that ever walked this earth is just phenomenal but this movie just the editing the the cutaways just everything else about this movie just did not work for me it was just 
Yeah. No, as an adult watching it again, I just like, what is going on? This is just nothing is working here. Ultimately, I think the problem was the script. Uh, I didn't think the acting was Always terrible or anything. <laughs> I didn't think the imagery was bad, but the script, it was a story that could have been written on a post-it note. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so because of that, it felt like there was a lot of, there are a lot of things that were dragged on. Or a lot of slow motion, a lot of let's show a scene of this to get us to that 90 minutes. But um, do you want to walk us through the plot uh, for those who have not seen 1985's Legend? Well, I'll try. There were a lot of these one-off medieval fantasy movies in the 80s that came out that, that you know, just sprang up and didn't really go anywhere like i'm not sure if they had sequels but i don't think so yeah they spring up organic they didn't really go anywhere but uh so legend begins with tim curry again he's he's credited as the lord of darkness we think of him as you know satan or the devil but his character is the lord of darkness so he is a a devil or a a satan type figure he has red skin big horns and cloven hooves so yeah. The, he he doesn't hold a pitchfork. That's about the only thing that makes him not straight up Satan. Right. Yeah. So they were very careful careful in the 80s not to label him as the devil. Maybe a devil, but not the devil. Mm-hmm. He is relaxing in his realm of hell or a hell, and he wants a unicorn horn or he wants the the, the horns of the last two unicorns. And he sends his goblin they're yeah, goblins. they're goblins yes. in the story. Yeah, to retrieve them, and but he gives them the uh, message that they are attracted to innocence. The unicorn, yeah, and typically unicorns in lore, they're attracted to innocent women or mm-hmm. you know virginal women, which we'll talk about in in a minute here. Immediately, it cuts to Mia Sarah's Lily, who is this beautiful princess, princess they, lady. Yeah, someone calls her a lady at some point. Uh, and says yeah. you need to start behaving like a lady. And the implication, I think, was not as a grown-up, but rather according to your rank. Royalty. Yeah, but there's yeah. we never see her family. There's no castle or manor house or yeah. Yeah, there's. She's it, in white. Her hair is done. She's beautiful. There, you know, she's got some rank in some royal house. We're supposed to believe. Yes, I think so. There's not a lot of character development for no. Really, they had but... 90 minutes and they didn't develop the characters very much. <laughs> No, they spent that all on slow-mo and glitter. That's what this movie did. But uh, it cuts to her and she's traipsing through a field. She's got a friend or she's got a romantic relationship, but not a sexual one, we think, with Jack, who's played by Tom Cruise. And Jack Mm -hmm. is a woodland man, human but immortal, maybe. They say at some point he can talk to animals. I I thought he was human. You know... For such a spare movie, they tell us very little. Right. He doesn't freeze. Later on, when everything freezes, the only other human we've seen is frozen. He's not frozen. Right. And they're romantically involved. And she says, if you if you really love me, you're going to find this ring. And she's got a ring on her finger and she flings it out into this river. And of course, he he dives in after it. Or she, she says, uh, I'm going to marry the person who finds this ring. Yes. So that that's kind of a, a one-off, but she doesn't seem to have too many suitors as it is, but whatever. Anyway, so he... I mean, he's literally one of only two human characters in, besides her. Yeah. If he's a human, yeah, he's one she... of only two human characters. There's a, a local woman, and that's it. Yeah. A woman who lives in a hut, and she has a baby, and she makes bread. It's... It's very fairy tale like this yes. this whole plot and, and cottage. It's 
very strange. Beautiful. Again, very nice to look at this movie, but not very understandable. So he, as a show of his love, he's going to take her to see the unicorns, which is a big no-no word. Not sure why. I think it's because she is a human or she's mortal and mortals are not supposed to go anywhere near the unicorns. And as she sees the unicorns, she's overcome with how beautiful they are and how majestic and she goes out to touch the unicorns and of course as this happens the goblins who have been tracking the unicorns and and through her they see and they they shoot the unicorn with uh, like a poison blow dart and the unicorn the stallion is the one that falls first he gets poisoned and of course they're allowed to kill him by cutting off his horn and so that's kind of the first start of the movie and when the unicorn loses his horn i guess the weather changes yeah, immediately everything freezes. Like, yeah. immediately. So the main goblin is Blix, played by a woman who does a phenomenal job. Yes. I mean, seriously, this is a, a role that is absolutely wonderful. And her job is to take the horn back to Tim Curry's Dark Lord, or the Lord of Darkness. Mia Sarah's Lily goes missing. I, I, I don't know how they get separated. But uh, Jack goes on a quest with his woodland friends, one of them being the Gump. Yeah, who's clearly based on Puck from... From Midsummer Night's Dream. Yes. Mm -hmm. And two other dwarves or elves, they go on a journey into hell to retrieve her. Because somehow she gets lured into hell on the other unicorn and then becomes betrothed to the Dark Lord. Keep saying the Dark Lord. The Lord of Darkness on the way. It's both a kicked out of Eden type story. What's the name of the book? I'm Orpheus and Eurydice. Yeah, or Orpheus and Eurydice, we can say. Mm -hmm. It's all over the place. It is. And there's so little that happens. And yet a lot of the stuff that we want to know does just doesn't get developed uh, in, in that right. time. So um, if today's episode sounds spare, it's because there's very little to this beautiful movie. But it's very, yeah. it's like a very, very, very long music video. Uh, in fact, yeah. I think if someone like took some sort of airy fairy you know uh, uh enya style music and just took all the dialogue and uh <laughs> and recut that's it. exactly what it is yes, too exactly yeah yeah it's like enya saw this movie and said i want to make this music video for the rest of my life yes I think and she so. did and she did exactly the whole quest from the very beginning you know this quest is going to happen as they're going along, we do have, I mean, you've mentioned it, these different kinds of images. We have got this biblical imagery. Uh, Tim Curry lives in a kind of hell-like place. It's darkness. Mm -hmm. Immediately we see they're torturing someone for what reason is unclear. Uh, when he and his minions talk to one another, they talk about, oh, isn't evil great? We love evil. <laughs> we love doing the evil. When Tim Curry uh, at, at the beginning addresses his mother and then later his father, father he calls her mother knight the idea is that he's the descendant yeah. of knight and i'm not clear who his father's supposed to be uh, as i said he looked like a chair to me um not like someone <laughs> sitting in a chair he literally looked like a chair uh i don't know what, what yeah. did you what did you think his father was supposed to be see i thought he was a fallen angel paradise lost style and i thought whenever he was calling out to his father he was calling out to god well who was he talking to in the chair I didn't think there was anyone in the chair. I thought he was, that was an empty chair that the placeholder was supposed to be God. <laughs> so, so, okay, look, I was looking, I, you remember, I was an English major. I am a, a student of you. <laughs> Maybe I was thinking I, way too hard. But I thought that the chair responded to him. I thought when he said, hey, I'm totally attracted to this uh, uh, lily, 
uh, didn't the chair say, oh, you're attracted to her because she's innocent. You need to corrupt her. So did it? Yeah, I thought the chair talked. <laughs> this is this is why Engineer okay, Mike well, is, a, is is agreeing with me that the chair did talk. Did the chair? What did the chair say? It said you've got to corrupt her. That's you're attracted to her because you want to corrupt her. I, I was a different voice. Oh man, I thought it. He was hallucinating. I mean, I I would I'd be willing to believe he was hallucinating because I'm not sure. Yeah. I would believe a lot of things because literally his father looked like a chair, not like someone in a chair, but a four-legged chair. Like it <laughs> looked like a, bar- a, a a kind of very Baroque carved chair. Uh, I don't. Oh my god! I don't know what else to say. I, I'm still not clear on what that was. And I remembered thinking about the chair. The father was invisible. Oh, engineer Mike thinks the father was invisible. Okay, so that chair was a placeholder for God then. But why would God say go corrupt her? That was just him imagining. I don't know. See, we're thinking, yeah, okay. I think this, both of us is, are right and both of us are wrong. I mean, yeah. it, this could be anything. This, <laughs> I don't think thought was put into this. I want to believe it, his father was a chair. <laughs> the chairs are the ultimate source of evil uh, in the, in the Well, we're both sitting in chairs, so maybe. That's true. You don't know. I could. I could be your. I could, you could be hallucinating my voice right now. I. I don't know. But, I haven't seen you in person in almost a year. So it's true. I could be a deep fake for oh, Satan. <laughs> so speaking of Satan, oh, <laughs> yes. So last time we talked about the whole satanic panic of the eighties, and I think yes, we did. And you mentioned, and I think you're right that there might be a little bit of satanic panic in this also. I mean. We could be stretching it a little bit to say, you know, you, you could very much every time you see a, a Satan figure in an 80s movie go, aha, Satanic Panic. Of, of course, Satan imagery has been elsewhere. But when Lily goes over to him, drawn over by jewels and ultimately a gown, uh, the gown is very goth and it has this yes. very kind of, you know, if your kids into goth rock and roll. They are probably mm-hmm. a Satanist. Exactly. That kind of image to it, I think. In the sense that the distinction, like the two poles she has to choose from are Jack, who, and I am not joking. I, I saw this in the, in the 80s, as I said, but I had only some memories of it. And when I started rewatching it, Tom Cruise's performance at first, I legitimately thought he was supposed to be mentally challenged. Uh, for about the first five minutes. Really? Yes. The vacant way in which he was looking, which I now realize it was his version of being innocent. But it, I thought that, oh, he's mentally challenged. I did not remember that from that time. But, you know, he's obviously not in the end. He's just fashion challenged, I suppose. Like, okay, so they will talk about his fashion choices or the, the armor that he has in just a few minutes. But so I want to mention the innocence. Mm-hmm trope here okay with unicorns and innocence what is the history of unicorns and innocence like why are unicorns are attracted to innocence there's a lot of history of unicorns and they're in fact pre-medieval but the idea i think it's not until the middle ages the idea comes that they're attracted to particularly to virgins that virgins can catch, catch them it might have been right it might have been isidore seville but now i'm i don't want to put my finger on that exactly because now I can't recall uh, who first sort of says this, but yeah, they're attracted to this. And there is later on a, a Freudian reading uh, of this, that they, that the alicorn, that the unicorn horn, that it's a 
phallic image, mm-hmm. but the horn is often associated with uh, medicine and, and medicinal healing. And so another reading of this is that it's a kind of Christ in the church uh, image as well, uh, rather than a Freudian image that the purity of the church might attract Christ, which would be a good reading for this one if it would hold up, which I kind of don't think it would for this movie. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it's a common, but it's a pretty common idea for unicorns. It just gets more and more and more developed as time goes on. And then there are two problems with that in this movie. One, does that mean that Lily is the only, quote, innocent person in this movie? I assume that there are more virgins than just Lily. Well, no, they said that he was, Jack also is innocent. Okay. So, okay. And then that leads me to number two. Two, my second point, aren't there older virgins? I mean, they, why why is innocence always youthful? This is not unique to this movie, but, you know, obviously as you grow older. I mean, Hollywood and youth and blah. Yeah. yeah, but even aside from that, as you grow older, this runs in opposition to the idea of original sin, right? So if you start mm-hmm. with the idea of original sin, then, then everyone is sinful or corrupted in some way. But if you eliminate the idea of original sin, then whence comes corruption? Corruption has to come with time and over time, you're more likely to you to lose your innocence. In this one, I mean, Lily, I, I went and looked it up. Mia Sarah is, I think, 14 in this, uh, whereas Tom Cruise is- Is she really? Yeah, she's quite young. Oh uh, my the God. And Tom Cruise is 22, I think, if I remember. Oh. And she looks all that age, right? So within this, like even there is this kiss between them, which- inappropriate yeah i i thought this is a bit much for me uh it reminded me a little bit of the labyrinth a movie which we did not do uh this november uh but it reminded me a bit of labyrinth in that there's this great age gap between jennifer Connolly and david bowie but there although Mm -hmm. the sexual relationship is implied i don't even know if they physically touch they might dance together they might dance uh together and and that's it so yeah it was really a bit much, actually. I know he's supposed to be playing a younger person than 22, but still. She is actually quite young at this time. Yeah. Ugh. We seem to get on these movies where there's just, like, way young women and way older men. And it's... We we need to break that chain. I think it's because this year, because there weren't new movies for November, we did a lot of older yeah. movies. And early 80s, all sorts of weird transgressive sexual stuff going on. So Exactly, yeah. And also, I... I want to briefly mention we're talking about you're talking about original sin Mm -hmm. this is the third movie swear it's back to back now where there's a character named lily and she is a ham-handed stand-in for lilith Mm -hmm. in the garden of eden and this is no exception here this lily is a lilith right i mean you caught that yeah she becomes one and, and through the course of it and interestingly enough she doesn't get fully corrupted. She is ultimately saved Mm-mm. by the light. In fact, actually, Una, this kind of little fairy, is maybe more directly corruptible, corrupted and corrupting, even though she's supposed to be a good character. But it feels like they wanted to do that. They wanted to have this kind of being cast out from Eden. And then and they were like, nope, actually, Jack wins her back. Jack is also a very strange name. It, it felt very out of... It didn't feel right for this world. I wasn't sure what to make of that. I assumed it was a reference to all the kind of Jacks in fairy tales, you know, Jack and the Beanstalk yeah. and that, that kind of thing. Well, if they called him Adam, it'd be just too on the nose. 
Well, I mean, everything else is pretty on the nose, so I don't know why they had to get off the nose for that one. <laughs> it couldn't decide, this movie couldn't decide whether they were going to lay the blame on Jack's feet for the unicorn dying or Lily's feet for it. Because she is super remorseful and super crying like, oh my God, it's my fault. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But it's really not. I mean, he's the one that broke protocol and took her to see the unicorns. And she didn't realize that she was being used as a lure by the goblins to have them murdered. By the way, that this this hinges on this unbelievable coincidence, which is... Yeah. Which is go watch the unicorns on the one day that they happen to be touched by a virgin, I guess. Exactly. If I, I don't really care for horses that much, but if I saw a unicorn in real life, hell yeah, I'd step forward trying to touch it. They try to, the fairies at first are mad at Jack and they say, you knew better. Why did you let her? Which, by the way, Jack never says to her, you know, uh, don't, don't touch the unicorns, which if he had said that, it might be right. differently. He just says like, oh, we probably shouldn't do this, but he isn't clear on what that is. And then when she does touch unicorns, he's upset. The fairies come and they yell at him and then... He says, oh, I did it for love. And I'm like, oh, for love? Well, that's a whole other thing then. Oh, of course. And Let's drink these olives for love. What? Yes, <laughs> did you it see was... the little olive shot glasses? What? Yeah, it was very strange. Uh, but I that excused everything. If it was for love, yeah. all was well. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. We do a lot of stupid crap for love. That does not excuse unicorn murder, though. <laughs> all right. Let's, let's get into some stray observations. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we were talking about jack's outfit that's not medieval accurate of course i mean i know this is a fantasy (laughs) world but that outfit was not or i'm sorry his armor was not protecting his legs at all like it was super short he's got great legs i'll give him that i think that was the point of his armor was to show off his yeah yeah great hammies but he was not (laughs) he, he was not gonna survive any blows to his legs at all so uh one of the actors i believe it was una but i'm not going to swear to that uh one of the actors was also a voice actor in heavy metal oh. the animated film version ralph bakshi yeah and immediately i thought oh that's exactly what we have with the armor of jack jack's armor is very much a <laughs> this is designed not to protect you but to show off your physique Right. I see. Uh, it's the yeah. chainmail bikini armor that you'll see in a lot of, uh, you know, uh, video games for women. It's the same kind of thing. So, yeah. Uh, what do the unicorns do with their horns? We know what happens when the unicorn, when the horns are separate from the unicorns, they just, they zap. Like the, the goblins were zapping each other and doing all sorts of magic mischief with them but what do they control i don't know when they're attached to the universe i mean engineer mike thought they controlled the weather and i don't know that that's necessarily wrong but at the beginning it's stated that as long as the two unicorns are there the sun will continue to rise and so if we consider sun rising and setting as part of the weather maybe that's what it is but they seem to be somehow associated with the light and the unicorns seem to glow with this ethereal light but I don't know if that's special because a lot of creatures glow with an ethereal light uh, in this. Uh, but somehow it seems this connected with light. I, again, I saw a lot of glitter, but I didn't see a lot of ethereal glowing. So I, I'm not sure. And then what happened to Blix? Now, Blix, Did is, you... Blix is def- was definitely my favorite goblin. It was, yes. It was great mm-hmm. makeup. Um, they really could have done a better job at trying to sync up the mouth movements on every close-up with the <laughs> words. But... Um, it was really great. And Blix rhymed 
almost everything I know the act is played by a, a woman. I don't know if Blix is supposed to be male or female character since Blix is a goblin. Um, but yeah, at some point, Darkness gets upset with Blix because Blix is trying to take over using this unicorn horn. And then I think we maybe saw that Blix was down in that prison later on in the dark dungeon or whatever, but I, I don't really know. Right. Did you have a sense of where Blix went? Blix just kind of fell out of the story. Yeah, I at first I thought, remember when they opened up that pie and they found the dwarf or elf friend? Mm-hmm. Like I, I thought that Blix was going to pop out of one of them and like start stabbing. <laughs> but like that would have been a really cool denouement for Blix and then have him like um, be offed by the questers. But I don't know. I, I, he just he just stopped. He just ended. I, I don't know. His yeah, story and that's a shame because Blix, short up. Uh, Short of Tim Carey, Tim Carey, Tim Curry. Tim Curry. <laughs> Short of Tim Curry. Blix was definitely my favorite character. Uh, and then yeah. Blix just suddenly is not in the movie anymore, um, having having gotten in trouble. The other thing that started to seem like it was one thing but was not uh, was this ring. You know, she throws the ring, says, she doesn't say, I'll marry you when you find the ring. She says, I'll marry whoever finds this ring. And he doesn't go mm-hmm. and he tries to get the ring at first and he fails. He doesn't go and finally get the ring until the end to wake her up from her slumber, presumably to marry her. And when she did that, when she did that, I thought, oh, well, this is a kind of typical thing you'll see in a fairy story where someone will uh, set a circumstance that they don't really understand the purpose of. And that she was going to say, whoever gets this ring, I'm going to marry whoever gets this ring. And then somehow darkness, the Lord of Darkness, was going to get the ring. Thus under fairy, you know, uh, rules and logic, forcing her to marry him in order to, fu- to fulfill the quest that she had established. Right. She establishes yeah. it as a quest. Um, and it does f- get fulfilled in the end when Tom Cruise goes and finally does get the ring. But it's actually really all tangential to the plot itself. It doesn't really matter. Um, and it felt like a kind of initial draft of this might have been that he's looking for the ring uh, or that the, or that somehow uh, Tim Curry gets the ring. <laughs> Maybe Blix would get the ring uh, or something like that. <laughs> see, I'd love that right there. Blix putting the ring on her finger. There we go. That um, would have been the ending. See, Maybe the director's cut answers those questions because I, I was when I was reading the Wikipedia page, it said that at the end of that version, mm-hmm. Jack and Lily just agree to be friends. Really? They don't go off together. Yeah, they don't get together in the end like they do in the theatrical cut. They're just like, eh, you know what? This whole trauma, this whole relationship via trauma thing, that never works out in the end. Let's just shake hands and go our separate ways. Interesting. I yeah. I, I kind of would have liked that better just because it would have yeah. subverted a lot of the stuff that, that happened here. Mm-hmm. It also would have been interesting because it would have... Well, I was about to say it would have meant that they both maintained their innocence. I don't know if Lily maintained <laughs> her innocence. I mean, she didn't have sex with Tim Curry, uh, but the at some point she does seem like she's been corrupted. Uh, yeah. Uh, although, again, she tries not to choose him. She does seem to be half forced into everything and half seduced. So I'm not really sure what she was supposed to have been in the end. Yeah, I, I don't know. I want to quickly get into a final thought here mm-hmm. because this is... Well, let's go into our recommendations before our final thoughts. 
Okay. Go ahead. Do yours first. Okay. So I have two. One, one is a kind of obvious one, which I think maybe a lot of people have already aware of, but it would be Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. Love this one. Yeah. It's a fun play. It is very clearly referenced. Gump in this is very clearly Puck from Midsummer Night's Dream. Um, it has fairies mm-hmm. that are trying to deal with, in that case, a, a backwards love situation. And there are lots of great film versions of, the, of this also. And that's one kind of for grown-ups. Uh, the one, I actually wanted to include one for uh, something for children. And I was going to recommend Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen because, well, fairies are really, how we understand fairies, a lot of it is solidified in that. I want to suggest something which is a little less known, and that's something called Spencer's Stories from the Fairy Queen. And it's a bunch of children's stories, which are really very, pardon the pun, enchanting. Uh, And the first one (laughs) uh, deals with a girl. I think she's a princess. Uh, She's a human girl, but her name is Una, which also happens to be the name of Mm. one of the fairies here. And I don't know if that is a direct reference because there are other characters named Una out there in literature uh, who are also associated with the Fae. It would be a delightful thing to read around uh, Christmas time. I don't, they're not particularly Christmas themed, but it has that kind of magical childhood uh, magic about it. Wonderful. And your recommendation? <laughs> well, last time we talked about a wonderful Rankin-Bass movie from my childhood. We'll talk about another one that is not quite as good as The Flight of Dragons, but still full of delight. This one is The Last Unicorn, full of celebrity voices just as The Flight of Dragons. The Last Unicorn is about a unicorn who finds out that she may be the last unicorn on Earth, so she goes on a quest to find out why. On her quest, not only does she join a motley crew of humans and other creatures but she turns into a human and she is voiced by Mia Farrow. Other voices include I believe Angela Lansbury who does a phenomenal evil uh, I believe she is a like a a sorceress or a witch type character and uh, Christopher Lee the late great Christopher Lee and I think he does his own dubbing in it like in the all the other languages he he knows or he knew because he knew he could speak like half, half of a dozen of them. And one of the characters, I got to say, this is a little bit more adult than The Flight of Dragons because one of the characters in this is a, uh, a tree with very large breasts and they are um, <laughs> bare. Yes. So uh, be careful watching this with your children at home. But it is an absolutely spectacular movie with unicorns in it that uh, does not bore. It will delight and uh, enchant you. Yes, and it's a darker movie also maybe for children. It's not actually quite as dark as the book, which is pretty dark too, both of which are a delight. And I I would recommend either of them or both of them. Mm -hmm. Yep. So you said you had a final thought to follow I do. So what was your final thought? Uh, It's about nostalgia and this movie. Uh, We're both talking about how we saw this movie when we were much younger and then when we saw this again, as adults, don't give in to nostalgia. Nostalgia is like alcohol. Sip on it every now and then with a friend and uh, maybe binge on it here and there, but don't get wasted too often. Otherwise, you'll just ruin your life. It's a bad thing. Yes, I agree. One of the, for me, unexpected tragedies of the COVID-19 pandemic has been Mm -hmm. how many things from my youth it has ruined because we've had to dig into the past and uh, even things we didn't record about, I thought 
I, I had looked at thinking, oh, we might want to look at this. And then I just looked at a few scenes from it. I thought like, wow, I didn't realize how bad this was yeah. when I wasn't 11 years old anymore. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, our taste really sucked when we were kids. My God. Well, and you know why that was? Because we had the innocence that was associated with youth. That's true. Unicorns could come sit in our laps. That's it was American. That's true. That's exactly right. Well, any more oh, any more thoughts for the good of the cause? Tim Curry will still always be the best Satan. Uh, I think I have to agree with you on that. That's what we can get from this movie, though. Well, West New Hall, now. West New Hall, huh? Happy Movember, everyone. Happy Movember. Hoppin' Evil was recorded under in the studio. Hosts are Dr. Richard Scott and Oaks and Nina McCarthy. Our audio engineer is Engineer Mike. The music is courtesy of Dr. John Jinwright. For more information, visit our website at profawesome.com slash That's P-R-O-F-A-W-E-S-O-M-E dot com slash Thank you for listening. You know, now that I think about The Land Before Time, if The Land really were before time, the sequence of events could not have happened in a sequence. It would just all those events would have been jumbled together. Well, it was jumbled together because there were Jurassic dinosaurs and Cretaceous dinosaurs and Triassic dinosaurs all together. So You got me there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what they did.